another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Joining me this evening, I have a, a bassoon player, a musician. Uh, she uh, spent a year in the AmeriCorps program, uh, artist year, uh, recently. And uh, she's back here in Milwaukee now. But uh, I'm excited to talk to her a little bit about what she does and why she does it. Rosie, thank you for joining me. Of course, uh, Mr. Nice Guy. Do people ever just like call you that? Uh, sometimes, like, kind of like if it's like casually, like on the street or something. Like I've had, oh, Mr. Nice Guy. Like I've had that yelled. Like, I was gonna say nobody in the grocery is like, oh my god, there's Mr. Nice Guy. I hope he's actually nice in real life. But uh, he, he is. He is. Oh, uh, thanks, Rosie. <laughs> uh, I, I can be. I can also be a. Uh, not so nice guy um just because you know things have been i feel like i feel like i've been real pissed off lately you know just there's just so many things to be pissed off about i just haven't really felt like a nice guy a whole lot because the world is just a very infuriating place right now you know yeah <laughs> i think that's something that many people could agree on uh by many i would say like 99.8 percent of the world is just like generally pissed off um welcome to 2020 so that's right yeah most certainly so um well to start rosie uh how was your day today uh it's pretty good um i did have class today um and then i like i made myself some really good breakfast so that was like a you know a good start to the day um what was breakfast you know, I had some soy riso um, scrambled with some eggs and like serrano peppers in it. And then like just like a heaping pile of hash browns with a bunch of hot sauce on it. Oh, hell yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. That, so that sounds like a wholesome meal to start your day. Yeah. You know, you just got to. Oh, and a glass of orange juice. You cannot forget your juice. Shout out the, the orange juice. Yeah. Um, I actually just bought some this week myself, but I didn't have it. I didn't buy it with the intention of uh, breakfast. I was going to mix it with some alcohol. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, a very versatile juice, I will say. So um, a lot of good options. No, nothing, no orange juice tonight though. Right now I'm drinking the, the classic, uh, the red dog, you know, the, the Clifford's. <laughs> Clifford's big red dog. Yeah. The Clifford's. It's, yes. Um, yeah. Normally I'm a hams guy, but this week I want to switch it up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've got my beverage here. It's a nice glass of H2O. Um, oh, what, what, uh, what blend is that? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the, tap, my younger the, tap, the faucet blend, the faucet blend. Yeah. But filtered through the Brita because, um, my younger sibling likes to call Lake Michigan, Lake doo-doo. And just like every time I think about the water coming out of the tap, I'm like, ooh, they really do be having a point about that water. So yeah, yeah. I will say since moving back from Colorado, I have recently regained back knee. And I'm not saying that it's the water from Lake Michigan, but I'm also not saying that it isn't. Wait, you regained what you said? Back knee, like my whole back. Oh. Transparency. Welcome to another episode of Mr. Nice Guy where we talk about skincare. Oh, bump. back knee. Oh, I see. I, okay. Damn. 
we all struggle with it. I mean, maybe yeah. you don't, but. Um, well, if I do, I have this handy cake, which I bought from Beans and Barley, you know, okay. uh, the back scratcher. Oh, I, nice. Uh, yeah, they had these handy. Um, so if I if you ever have a, a scorching case of back knee, this thing comes in handy. Yeah, you know, just give it a good scratch. That'll take care of it. I did get one of those like giant like brushy things like that so you can like wash your back while you're showering. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's those, pretty yeah. life changing just out of sheer like enjoyment, not even for any other reason. It just feels really good. So Oh oh yeah. I mean, I imagine like like whether or not like it really it gets those hard to reach places is negligible like you know a, a nice back scratch in the shower is like uh top tier top tier yeah exactly there's no better way to describe it most certainly well rosie what we talk about a mr nice guy we talk love and fear passion and creativity and uh i remember when we met do you remember when we met okay i know that we met through Paulina. Shout out to Paulina. Yes. Hi, Paulina. I'm going to see her on Friday. We're getting coffee, yeah. so. Um, and, but I don't remember the exact day we met, but I have a sneaking suspicion that it probably wasn't a party setting. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I feel like I'm getting, like, it was either at our house or it was at a different house. So that's <laughs> A very broad answer, but um, uh, it was uh, you're you're on to you're on to something. You pretty much you pretty much uh, nailed it. It was Polina's Halloween party uh, three years ago, I, I, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, it, I, it was yeah, it was a Halloween party, and I don't think we really talked a whole lot. I just remember there was a big stuffy uh, bear on the couch. I just remember that. That's all I really remember. Oh my remember. gosh. Okay, well, that is a very different party. Because that was my 80s, 90s party. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe it was just around Halloween time. But, yeah. yes, it was that, that party. We had met before that, though. That party was not the first time we met. Oh, maybe I'm was, all mixed up then. Yeah, no, we met before that. Because the 80s, that, I remember you sitting with the big stuffed animal, because I was living at my Murray house, which, oh my god, what a shit show living there it was. And then, I think we had met before that at the house that Paulina and I lived together at. Oh, shit. And perhaps it was around Halloween that year, but... Hard to say exactly when because we definitely knew each other from before then. Oh well, well, well pardon me, Rose. Uh, <laughs> well, that was, in, that was like the the that was like the main one that I remember you from. But I do know, but like then, I mean, we had mutual friends. I mean, I know you're friends with Eileen. Yeah, I know Eileen from from Beans and Barley. Yeah, yeah, and I know she had, like, a beans party, and I met all the beans people, and you were there. Yeah, um, we had already known each other then, too, but I remember yeah. Yeah. that event. That was a fun, fun little yeah. night. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, 
um yeah and then like you know i'd see you sporadically around river west as uh at uh as it tends to be you know yeah um yeah so but you know i've always known that like you know you were in the music department at uwm like you rosalie plays bassoon is your instagram i believe yeah Uh, many variations of different names on instagram so (laughs) yeah there you go um so uh bassoon that was what my mom wished i played when I was a kid, like, but it wasn't offered at my middle school, so. I think I, that that's a lie. I think that band directors lie about it because they don't know how to teach the instrument. They're like, oh no, we, we don't, we don't offer bassoon. I, they had oboe, no bassoon. Yeah, and that is just so strange to me. It's like, they like really don't want people to start the bassoon in the middle school. And I think it's because they don't want to, have to take the time to teach a whole another instrument when you're talking about one band teacher teaching you know all the instruments in the room and they would rather just like not have to deal with the bassoon of all the instruments they're like that that's my theory behind it and i totally get it i mean you're one person having to teach all these kids different instruments all at the same time why do you think that is is it like is it a because it's like such a cumbersome instrument or b because it's difficult to learn well it's both i think it's a good amount of both it is like a a difficult instrument to learn and it's also like it's huge and like a middle schooler with this big instrument that's generally really expensive comparatively like you're not going to be you can get cheaper bassoons but they're not going to be as nice as a cheaper clarinet or a cheaper flute which are still not gonna be that nice but you can't really trust a middle schooler with it and then it's interesting is a lot of those band directors then want you to switch to bassoon in high school they're like oh my god i have 32 flutes do any of you want to learn how to play the bassoon on your own they they just want you to have the capacity to learn the instrument on your own and i think it's really easy to learn the instrument wrong so Mm, sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was in band in middle school and uh, I didn't do it beyond middle school because I hated it at the time. I ha- I just hated practicing. Um, the actual like performing with the band was cool, but I just, the practicing was, I just got, you know, I, I was just, I could never focus on it. So, um, I can't even tell you how many times like I lied on my practice journal. Oh like, my gosh. I still lie. I'm like, yeah, I practiced 12 hours this week. I, yeah. did not. I did not. I'm like, it is hard to find the time and it is hard to self-manage. And I think that that is just like a general truth. And like, that is something that you're continually like having to like learn how to do in every aspect of your life outside of practicing as well. Yeah, especially when you're a kid, like an adolescent, you know, going through various social pressures and like you're trying to like fit in and stuff like that was always what was I was always just worried about that. So, yeah, um, I used to like when my parents would be out at work, like my mom would every day ask, you practice? Did you practice? Did you practice? Yeah, I did it already. I did it right when I got home. Really, I never even like. I didn't even touch my. I w- didn't even touch the case. Uh, 
but yeah, I think that's the most cumbersome part about going to practice. I mean, I sit here in my apartment and I'll stare at my bassoon case for maybe like 30 minutes. Like I'll be watching TikTok, look up over it. I'm like, like I would start practicing if it was just already outside of the case for me, but because I have to put it together, like, yeah. like the, the least cumbersome, but the most cumbersome portion of practicing is just that. So yeah, is bassoon, um, bassoon uses a read just like, or is it double readed? Yeah, it's double readed. Okay. Don't they, don't they have to like, you have to soak those reads for like 15 minutes or something? Like it's, it takes No, it's not 15 minutes. You, you soak it for a good amount of time. Um, you do soak it. You like dunk it in a little cup of water and you let it for a couple of minutes and let it get soaked up. Um, um, and that's like a whole nother thing. The read is like, you know, most bassoonists and oboe players make their own reads. Like I make my own reads. So oh, like wow. that's another, you know, thing you have to add on top of practicing um so that's also tedious and cumbersome what kind of uh wood do you use to do that so it's like a really specific type of cane and maybe i should know what kind of cane it's called because everybody wants to think it's bamboo but it's not it's a whole different plant and it grows like prominently in like france and like italy and um in some countries in like there's Spanish cane and everybody has their preference and there's different shapes of reed, you know, like, you know, when you look at a clarinet reed, it's like that same like long piece of thing and you might be able to get like three or four different brands and you'll have like one out of every like 50 clarinet players might make their own reeds, right? Um, but with bassoons, there's like, like, you know, wide reeds, thin reeds, long reeds, short reeds, you know, everybody has their own preference which is really cool so oh yeah yeah man i this is all like it's all kind of like coming back to me now like practice and wetting the reed and warming up before we begin rehearsal like yeah i i don't know like i feel like i really enjoyed band at first i mean i just i've always loved classical music but i feel like I was just learning it at the wrong time in my life, you know. I was just, I was just too out of control to like focus on it. Well, that's the, that's so important. I mean, that's like, that is why people do not continue with band is because there is a certain amount of discipline that they want you to have. But like, there are so many different things going on today in like modern world that were not going on in the lives of like former classical musicians like three hundred years ago. Like that's all they had to do to have fun was go and play their instrument, go read their book and like go outside and like run around with other children. If any children even lived within a mile radius of where they were, you know? So, yes. I mean, I think of it, like, I feel like our generation, like not saying we all have like ADHD or anything, but like we all have serious attention issues because of the amount of stimulus I guess, stimuli in our lives, you know, you, it's so impossible to focus on any given task and asking a 10 year old to sit down and practice for an hour and a half, they make it so unmanageable too. Like they're like, you need to be practicing. You need to be, but like, yeah. and there's no freedom. You're, you're being forced to play music by old dead white dudes. I mean, like you can't just sit yeah. there and play 
whatever you want to. And I like, that's what you want to do. Like I remember joining band and just, I, I played trombone first. So I just want to be like, you, you know, like that's all I wanted to do. I didn't want to, I didn't want to play trombone. I wanted to make noise. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I remember in beginning band, like all the trombone players used to drum on their mouthpiece, like the. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you want to hear something cute, though, is that's how my parents met. Uh, they were uh, in bands together. Oh, cute. And yeah, yeah. So that are was they high the, school sweethearts? They are. Oh, I mean, like, imagine. Imagine having the maturity and capability of sustaining a relationship from high school through your whole adult life. And they're still together. Yeah, they are. I mean, hey, they they, they broke up plenty of times, but they I mean to work through it. I mean, that's still yeah. a lot. I mean, like even if you do break up, like you were able to like obviously overcome the issues presented. Yeah, yeah my my dad did. Um, he ended up getting his shit together, and I'm happy he did because here we are. There'd be no Mister Nice Guy if uh, <laughs> if he didn't. So, um, <laughs> but. Yeah, so my mom was a, a saxophone player, and dad was trombone, and they kind of, like, my parents didn't play sports or anything. Like, they weren't very, they weren't athletically oriented or anything, but band was just their thing, so they, like, that was, like, sort of a, um, that was kind of, like, a requirement by my sister and I, like, we had to try band, because it was so seminal for them that like I like it was one of those things that we were just forced into and neither my sister or I stuck with it but I'm glad I'm still glad I did it at the time because I mean there's still things to this day I I know like I know music terminology still and I know how to like I know what certain notes mean and like what you know, crescendos are and arpeggios and like having that knowledge and being a music journalist now, like makes me a much stronger writer. So yeah, I, I still value it for what it meant at the time. Yeah. And you never know when you're just going to start playing music again. I mean, that is just like, yeah. that's a huge thing in people's lives is so many people did do Suzuki or they did play in band and then they become an adult after like doing whatever for so many years and then they come back to music I mean like you're never gonna meet somebody who doesn't like music so I mean like it's so essential to like learn those things because like I know so many people are like oh like I wish I would have stuck with it or I wish I would have like paid closer attention because now I'm like that's so cool. I wish I could do that. But yeah. you can still do it. It's never too late. You have right. the rest of your life to to pick up your dusty clarinet in your closet or in your parents' basement or wherever your instrument is. Or... That's right. Yeah. I think they ended up selling it after a while. But, you know, it's all good. You know, you're at, you are absolutely right. Um, and that being said, uh, how long have you been playing this soon? So I did start music in like fifth grade. I started with trombone and I switched to bassoon when I was 13 after I begged and pleaded my band director, um, who I am still very close to to this day. So um, 
yeah, so I've been playing, I'll be 25 this year. So I've been pay- playing for 12 years. Oh, that's awesome. And they say it takes like, what is it? It's like literal, like, I think it's like 10 years worth of hours to like master an instrument. It's like something obscene where like, you, you think you've gotten good, but you still have like eons to go. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like that's all kind of subjective, you know, it just all depends on the person and yeah. how they learn. Um, so uh, what, so you did it um, through high school and everything. Uh, what did you study in college? Well, I studied music performance. So that was my degree. So I have a uh, bachelor of arts in bassoon performance and now I'm in school again for my master's in performance um, and a certificate in nonprofit management. So. Oh, awesome. Good for you. That's, that's really dope. Yeah. Um, so uh, what being in grad school for it, like, what does that entail? Like, what are like the, the courses and everything? Like what, what do you have to do? Yeah. So I'm a TA. So I'm, I teach at the university level now too. So I teach bassoon lessons and that's pretty much my, with COVID and everything, that's my primary duty. And then I have office hours. Uh, I'm a, one of the librarians. So like a few hours of my week is like dedicated to working for the university. And then my classes are online right now. So I have a music history class because I have to pass like a you have to pass like a master's like comprehensive exam. So you have to show that you know certain amount of things about history and a certain amount of things about um, theory. So I have to do that. And I also have a nonprofit kind of like theory class. That's really interesting. Um, So those are my two main classes. And then I have my bassoon lessons. So every week you get an hour of um, instruction, private instruction, whether that be online or in person. It's kind of dependent on the week. And then uh, I have one more class. Oh, I'm in wind ensemble. So that's my one in-person class is um, going and playing with the wind ensemble. And we like wear masks and everybody's got weird things wrapped around their instruments, except for the bassoons. We kind of just have a paper plate with some paper towel tape to it. Um, and that goes like on like the mouthpiece in hopes that you don't spit all over everybody. So yeah. That would suck. That would straight up not be a good time. I missed it though. I mean, like when you're playing in middle school band as an adult, <laughs> like that's your like playing experience for a year. You're like, I really missed playing with like musicians that know how to hold the instrument. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like it's really refreshing, but it's also like, like everybody's being really careful and like, the people I spend the most time with like outside of working is um, like music people. And it's really only one person I spend time with. So um, like if I'm going to get COVID, like it's going to be in that class, you know, that's probably the place I would get it. So. Yeah. I get that. Um, Yeah. Uh, So how much um, do you kind of like have like a fixed interval, like how much you practice every week or does it change every week? It changes because I also am a manager at Ann Taylor. So Thursday through Sunday, 
like I, I'm working like a lot of hours on top of school. So um, I try to practice two hours every day, Monday through Friday. And usually that doesn't happen on Thursday. So I usually get like eight hours in, but I'm trying to like readjust my schedule. And like, it's also like a concern of like, I live in a studio. So like, you can't really practice too late at night because of your neighbors. And then additionally, like, I don't want to go to campus because I just like park like I guess I'm giving away a lot of information about my life but like I have to like yeah park, they're gonna you find know, you now <laughs> yeah well you have to like like I don't you know I don't go to campus at night because like then I have to find parking and you know how parking is in this neighborhood yeah. so it's it's like you know it's hit or miss it's just depends on how my circumstances really change um yeah. and hopefully I get more time to practice in the future so totally yeah for sure um so being as like, you know, you have to learn like music history and stuff like that. Like, does that entail like learning about the history of your own instrument and like who like the big bassoon players were like in the past couple centuries? No. So it's actually, it's really just like a lot of like, you're learning a lot about composers and like kind of the historical events around music. So it is like a history class and the fact that, you know, you're talking about like you know, um, the French Revolution and the music that kind of comes out of that, or you're talking about um, like the Industrial Revolution and how that changes, you know, how music's being performed. You know, you when that happens, right, you've got more, you have a stronger middle class, more people have pianos at home because they're being produced at a like faster rate, so they're cheaper. So like, it like everything changes throughout history. Um, so you don't really necessarily learn anything about your own instrument or about the, you learn about some developments, but mostly when it comes to like ensembles or like the piano and like that is the biggest one that they talk about developments in the history class, at least thus far. Um, so it's kind of on you to kind of learn about like bassoon players. Um, I did write a paper in my undergraduate though about it where like, the bassoon was not even fully developed. I'm pretty sure I, I'm probably wrong, but I know it's really close this year, but like around like 1890, 1900 is when the bassoon is like became what it is today. That is when they finally like all the key work is the way that it is today. All the, like there was like, it was finally kind of like standardized and it wasn't until like maybe like the thirties or forties where like, those are bassoons that people buy now because those are the, you know, like top of the line old bassoons. So, um, yeah, it's really hard thinking about the history of the bassoon because you're like, so much music is lost and like, well, like how are these people playing these pieces without these keys? Like how are these notes being played? Like, it seems like it was just a really unstable instrument before, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that. Um, so you're mostly like in the M building, I'm assuming like normally. Yeah. Between there and like the uh, rehearsal space. Yeah. Which is like kind of rotates around between the I, music building and Zalazo. Yeah. I took, I took a couple music classes. Like I took American popular music, which was a fun class, but then I took like intro to world music. Oh no. It's a hard class. <laughs> yeah, I was like, 
that's like a, a class that we have to take an intro to American pop music. That's uh, ed majors have to take that class too. So those are like um, essential classes to some of the music majors. Yeah, like, I mean, I took American pop music with my friends, like my freshman year, just because like, we were all, that's how we all became friends was through yeah. how much we love music. So we thought it'd be fun to like, take a class like that. And it was awesome. But I took world music because it satisfied my uh, quantitative B uh, requirement uh, yeah. for my major. And uh, yeah, that was okay. I, Rosie, I shit you not. I never studied. I never, like, <laughs> I was never a studier growing up. That was the first class in my entire life I actually studied for. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's really hard, right? You had it's to learn really about, hard. like, um, like gamelan and like you have to learn yeah. about like native american Raga. dance and like so, like yeah. you know, southern plains native americans versus northern plain like music and you have to like you have to be able to do the like takatimi takatimi like you have to do all these like things like learn their rhythms and how they organize pitch classes i mean it is not like it's not like a class that you can just like mosey on into for the most part so like i'm impressed you know like you took the class and like <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> oh yeah i ended up getting a b um but then i wrote my uh my paper on jewish music actually um like i wrote nice. it on like because I, I that was in a period of time where like i was exploring like my judaism a lot like through college and so I didn't know what else I would write about. And I ended up writing, I only wrote like a six page paper and it was supposed to be 10, but I still got like a decent grade on it. Um, so yeah, uh, pulled that one out of my ass. Um, nice, look at you go. I wrote, I wrote a 10 page paper on Spanish flamenco. Oh shit, yeah. And looking back on it now, my professor had some criticisms on some of the terminology I used, but I was pulling a lot of like direct quotes and it, like a lot of it like, like comes from like Romani history. So like I, in a lot of the like historical writing, they were using the word gypsy. And like when he first gave me back my feedback, he was like, you know, um, you should be on like the right side of history and like you should be using the word Romani, which I totally agree with. I totally agree with, but all of these like sources I was like getting from the J store and from like the library were all using the word gypsy. And I was like, well, like, should I be using, like, if I'm using a quote, should I like, so I left it and then he like was really mad about it. Um, which like totally understandably. So, um, like in the future, I'll like try to be more on the, right side like you know i guess like it's not the right side of history it is just like that's what we call them that is the proper right. word you know like we do call them the romanis now um it's a hard because like so much changes and like you're learning so much like in your young adulthood like i mean i think about high school and i'm like wow like if i met me as a high schooler i'd be like you're really ignorant oh yeah i would have probably beat my own ass if i met my <laughs> high school oh my god <laughs> rolls up to like the past like in your like time machine pop, 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 pop. that's yeah. what you get man i totally would have whooped ass and uh, i would have deserved it probably yeah um, 
So tell me a little bit about Artist Year, uh, the program you did for the for in the past year. You were in Colorado for a while, uh, which is why uh, it took so long for us to actually do an episode because I was doing the show in person at the time. I was like, oh, I had no idea you were across the country right now. <laughs> oh yeah, I feel like a lot of people did not even like notice that I moved, which is like so astonishing. <laughs> like I'm like it really like like sheds some light on like who actually like kind of cares about your life like you're like not that you don't care about my life but like you know like yeah did you um uh, did you make like a social media announcement uh you know i like posted about it but like kind of like in passing um and like i like you know posted that i was gonna move and that i had accepted this fellowship um which is it was a great opportunity and i met people who like really have just like changed my life and my life changed like on my own you know you grow as a person when you take chances and go and experience new things like that so um yeah so yeah uh artist year um i'm obviously not the official spokesperson for artist year but it's this it's through americorps so it's a program where you go and you're partnered with a teacher and you're like basically you're providing additional arts learning or you are providing arts learning to the school. So like some schools have no like arts programs or they don't have that specific art program. And that person's coming in and working with maybe like a science teacher and providing some arts education. And then like in my case, I was partnered with a band teacher and I provided like lessons and like little group sectionals. Um, so I got to work with all these like amazing kids. And I also, ended up teaching in like an after-school program. I taught violin, so I got to study violin up in Aspen for the summer. Uh, so that was cool. Um, it was like interesting to kind of see how that functioned and stuff. So it was a overall great experience and I got to live in the mountains. So, um, you know, nobody tells you how much you're gonna miss the water though. Uh, there's nothing like Lake Michigan. Yeah, right. Um... I can imagine it was really beautiful out there. Um, so you, you were so you were partnered with a teacher, and so um, kind of like what was your day to day routine like in that program? Yeah, so um, I wake up in the morning and I drive. Like I lived in like a valley, so like nothing was like right next to you know like here's the east side and here's Milwaukee, and then right next to Milwaukee is West Dallas, and right there is you know. But you kind of like drive through like like long stretches of like country road to get to each town. So I'd wake up and I'd drive like 14 miles. I lived in Glenwood Springs and I would drive to Carbondale. And I would start at the high school some mornings and some mornings at the middle school. And, you know, we'd have our um, fifth grade band, sixth grade band, seventh grade band, and then eighth grade band. And then there was jazz and we had plan period and what else am i missing no that that was pretty much it um and you had like lunch um so you know we go through every class um and we had worked together to you know create like plans for what we're going to do during the day and most of the time i'd be taking like trombones or clarinets so this year i learned how to play the clarinet i learned how to play like trumpet and flute like you know, the instruments you like need to know to teach like middle school band. So I learned all those really quickly right away at the beginning of the year. Um, and yeah, and then we would have other additional obligations. So like on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I would have to go 
even further from Carbondale. So I'd have to drive like another like 20 minutes. So about like, like 10 miles, usually um, further south towards basalt. And then I teach in basalt. And those kids were so adorable. Like when you teach like re really little kids and like, like you really like, it's so like apparent, like there are moments where like, you're like, wow, these kids really actually like care about you, like as a human being, or they like really like, like it, there's so much trust that's built. So it was really great getting to work with little kids. Cause with middle schoolers, like they're more self-aware and they kind of have like an attitude there are moments like where they really show how much they care about you. But like, those are so rare compared to when you're working with little kids, like every day they're screaming and running up to you and giving you a hug. Um, awesome. Yeah. And that was pretty much my week. And then on weekends, um, like halfway through the year, I did get a second job, but like on weekends, like um, we all lived together, me and my cohort. So we would all go and do stuff or we'd hang out and watch like TV. Um, we were really tight knit. We hung out all the time. And like the one person that didn't live with us pretty much lived with us. I mean, like in the best way possible, she'd come over all the time and I love her dearly. So it was really cool. We got to have this really intimate relationship with, you know, your students and your friends and you did everything with those two groups of people. You had your work and then you had your same five friends. So. Yeah. That sounds like the life. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. And, you know, like, um, like, you know, I got to be on food stamps all year. And that was like, really, um, I mean, it was really great, because you got to see how much $200 could buy you in groceries. And like, like, it should like, I, I learned how to cook this year. Like, I didn't know how to cook really before that other than making like cheese quesadillas and like, like macaroni right yeah yeah the the boiling water and putting noodles in it <laughs> i did a lot of that okay like there was yeah. a good amount of it i did that all through college too um and yeah this year especially from quarantine i feel like i became a better cook too yeah you you don't even realize it like it's crazy i mean like i i think about like it makes me think about the people who don't have access to a grocery store. It makes me think about the people who have been denied like food stamps. Like, I mean, I did not need food stamps. Like, yeah. um, like I had a living stipend through the program. And I mean, I like pretty much broke even every month with like the food stamps and the stipend. But like, I think about like, if like, if I, if I was anybody else, like, like you didn't have access to groceries or you didn't have the food stamps. Like, I, like it was just like crazy, like experiencing that you're like, wow, like it's really hard out there for some people. So and that's like a very loosely put, that is like not even the most sophisticated thought I could have right there. But yeah. no, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. And uh, even to relate it to like the kind of work you were doing out there, I mean, imagining like being in education programs that don't have, that, that don't like invest in arts programs in the level that gives students opportunities to like learn instruments or expand on their, you know, the creative parts of their mind. And I mean, I was, I was very fortunate enough to have like, to have an upbringing that did have like those things available, but there are um but you know not every school is like that and 
Um, we see, we've seen like budget cuts, you know, that take away from our arts and humanities programs. And it, yeah, well, there's an interesting point with that too. And it's, it's really interesting because I recently have been made aware that like technically budgets have been increased for the arts. But what we're really seeing is that where are those budgets being increased? We're talking about zip codes and it really comes down to zip codes. It comes down to what school district do you live in and what are the property taxes that you pay in that zip code? That's going to reflect in what kind of programs these schools have. And I mean, the schools that I, were, that I was working in were Title I schools but the biggest thing about the schools I worked in was that there was such a huge like wealth disparity in that community. So Carbondale is about a 40 minute drive from Aspen, one of the most affluent like cities in our country. I mean, when you think of Aspen, you think, you know, like, ooh, bougie, bougie, like, but I mean, most of those people, town. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of those people don't even like live there, but there's like a ton of wealth there. And um, you know, and people in the valley, like that wealth does trickle down and there are people that are really well off, but then you have people who are on the complete opposite end of the thing. And I, the best way to put it is that there were kids that were haves and there were kids who have, have nots. And that was the best, that's the best way to describe it. You know, you have all these kids over here go skiing every weekend with their families. And that they are just as, you know, justified to an education as the rest of the kids in that school. But then you have the other half of the kids who had to watch their brother or sister on the weekend while their parents were working. So I think that it's just like, like we were really fortunate because there were music programs where I was, but like that was kind of the thing. Um, kind of went off on a tangent there, but. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. Um... Because, yeah, like, it's such a deeper-rooted issue to really, like, get into about, like, the, you know, the underfunded school systems and neighborhoods that have, like, a cap on how many resources they can provide for the students that want to learn an instrument or want to expand on a talent they have or something like that. Like, that's a, that is a, you know systemic and societal discussion for sure yeah but. it definitely i was just gonna say it like you can loop everything back to the same issues yeah. that exist yeah um like and most of these kids they're, they're they're not even concerned with wanting to learn an instrument or even they're thinking about what are they going to eat when they get home from school or they're thinking about like, oh my gosh, like, am I like, am I gonna have to watch my other, you know, how are my siblings I have, or like, am I even there? Like, is my mom gonna be able to pay the fifty dollars to rent the clarinet? Am um, I gonna have to get a job at like fifteen or something? Yeah, like that? yeah. So it's you know, it's a really really sad situation, and like, you know, like what you can only you know, do your part and still, you know, take time for yourself. You know, you still have to give yourself grace while trying to address a lot of these issues. Um, that's why I'm back in school is because I want to learn about the nonprofit sector and how they're working to work with different communities to provide these things, especially the arts, because there's just such a healing power in the arts, really. So. Awesome.
yeah no good for you like that that makes a lot of sense actually like where that gets incorporated into what you do and and I love what you just said about you know arts being a healing power I mean for many people um music or art or just any form of creative expression can be the difference between making sense of the world and not making sense of the world. And uh, it's a visceral thing to think about, but it's true. I mean, that some people, that's what they need. Like, that's what, that's what, that's, I mean, it can be therapeutic, but it can also, but it's also, you know, profoundly educational because you're exercising so much mental power and learning new skills while doing it and skills which can be used in other fields too. Um, exactly. I mean, and the other thing is, is like music and the arts and like dance and all those things are the only subjects that are taught in schools that even talk about emotional well-being or like expressing yourself or um, you know, it, it's the only thing, you know, they, like in science class, they, they're not going to ask you how you feel about, you know, the powerhouse of the cell, the mitochondria, like nobody's going to ask you how you feel about that. They're going to be like, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. It's all and that's factual all you, It's factual and history is all theoretical. And like, it's not about how you feel. It's that you're making arguments about these things or you're building your case based on whatever, you know, none of it's going to teach you how to deal with your everyday being and like music or, I mean, English is a great one too. I mean, English yeah. obviously taught, but you know, like you have to have really good English teachers and luckily I did. So like, I appreciate those people for the experiences I had there, but those are like the only classes you even get that really. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're, you are right. And and, you know, education shouldn't be like that, you know, education shouldn't, you know, consist solely of, um, of, you know, consuming matter of fact um, knowledge and using that approach as the end all be all, but also investing in the emotional component that goes with that. And like, how do you interpret this? Like, how does this make you feel? You know, how, yeah. how can we have more critical conversations about like, why things are the way they are or like how this can like, you know, influence other ideas to be created in the future. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's what keeps these conversations going and that's what moves our, um, that's what moves us, you know, entirely non-politically, like that's what moves us forward as a society, you know, because we discover new things and, uh, we connect new ideas, we connect new dots. And uh, yeah, like that's what arts programs and humanities programs, like that's what they're built off of. Yeah, and you know, it's not saying that those other subjects don't teach those skills either. Right, yeah. When you, when you have a really great educator in that classroom, they are going to put you in those situations that are gonna make you think about your feelings and how you might react and like, there are amazing educators out there and it all comes back to money again. Right. So like a lot of these teachers can't even like, they don't even have the resources or the money to like even give that much effort, you know? So. Yeah. Class society. It's evil. Yeah. It's evil. And 
you know, you know, you know, we we all know. We like, we sure do. At least everyone sure. everyone that's watching the show at this point, they all know. Yeah, they all know. Yeah. Um, you miss Colorado? Um, I do and I don't. You know, um, I miss the people I spent all my time with. I miss being able to have access to nature like that. And even then it wasn't like, you know, you, you still had to drive, you know, I love when people in Wisconsin are like, Oh, it must've been so nice. You could just go hiking all the time. And I'm like, well, I'd, I could drive the same distance here in Wisconsin and go on a hike too. I just yeah. can't, I can't see the hike through the city, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, it is, you know, you got to have access to transportation. So, um, it's all very political, but, uh, I do miss it, but I am grateful to be back because it's actually really difficult to make friends in Colorado. Um, yeah, so, like socially, like how are people there compared to like here in terms, like culturally, like, is there much difference? Yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, is, you know, like, I didn't live in Denver. So I lived in like, a small, like rural area. And a lot of the people that lived there were like families. So like a lot of the people were like in high school or like in middle school. So the young people like were a lot younger and I was like teaching them. And then you had some people that were like kind of close to your age group. And those were the people that were like raft instructors and like, you know, they were just like hikers and like they'd worked in outdoor fields and like they had the privilege of living in their van and they're like, I don't want to contribute to society, man. Like I'm just here to raft. So like you had those people and then you had like, there was an AmeriCorps sector, um, but a lot of the people like were not our age and like, um, so like making friends is kind of like, it depends on what your interests are. And for the most part, um, I just, I was cool with the like four or five friends I had that I lived with and was in cohort, but um, my girlfriend lived in Denver and. Oh yeah. Uh, shout out to Bippy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Bippy. That's my bae. Go and follow yeah. her. She's beautiful, but hands off. Yeah. Unless she's she, unless, unless she like is cool with it, you know, like <laughs> do, it, do what you got it, but. Right. Um, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so she, her experience in Denver, like, I mean, it's really hard. Like, the people that are there already have their, like, small friend groups, and they, like, everybody's, like, real big into hiking, and it's it's actually, like, a really hard scene to get into, and when you get out there, like, you, can, you can't just start hiking. Like, you think you're just going to go and hike a mountain, but, um, you know, like, you need a certain amount of gear, and like everybody's like you got to have this kind of gear you got to have that well it's all you don't need that much you just need to have the information and people are really weird about it if you haven't been like in the outdoor scene like that so um it, it kind of just felt really um i don't know like i can't think of the word right now it, it was really hard to they, they were they were like condescending a lot of the like outdoorsy people because they all had their knowledge of how things should be done like and you're like okay like so yeah. um and like it was hard making friends in Denver too because like there wasn't really 
like a bar scene like there is here in Milwaukee. Um, and I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but it makes it extremely difficult to make friends. And Denver is just like so overrun with people. Like I think that like if we really looked at the map of like Milwaukee and Denver and like superimposed them on top of each other, like the size of the city would not be terribly that much larger than Milwaukee. Like if we talk about like distance and we talk about like the whole city of Milwaukee, you include every single neighborhood of Milwaukee. Like maybe Denver's a little bit bigger, but like the population of Denver is like well over two million people, and Milwaukee's like six hundred thousand. So like, like you're like you're it's so hard. You're like uh, like I I saw you once and I'll never see you again. You know, but it is also a different culture. And like you met a lot of people from the Midwest and they're like friendly, but you don't really. It was hard to meet young people out there, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of sounds, I mean, from what I know, and I, I knew a lot of people that, like, would, like, go to Colorado. They'd move to Colorado and be back here without, within a year. Because, I mean, it seems like Colorado's a very idealistic place. Like, it's, it's very um, romanticized. Yeah, um, and and I understand why. I mean, it's scenic, it's mountainous, it's it's hip and young, from what I understand. But with that comes, it can it can come into those like uh, you know pretentious standards that you know you struggle to to, yeah. to mold into, and you know at that point, like, is it always really worth it to like? you know, put everything behind you and, you know, start in an, an entirely different culture because Wisconsin's a very, like, friendly and, like, family-oriented and social culture. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, it's it's really easy to make. It's so easy to make friends in Milwaukee, you know? Yeah, I mean, I could go literally around the corner right now and say hi to somebody and be grabbing a beer with them on Saturday, you know. Right. And the the other thing about it is like there is such a migration from California to Colorado because it's cheaper living and it is, you know, like it's really hard to be in a place where it is so expensive for you to survive when you have all these trust fund kids moving and taking up space and they have all nice equipment. They're in really great shape and like, sure, maybe they work, are gonna start working in six months, but they've got, they've got so much support and you're struggling out there to like make ends meet. Rosie, you're, you're telling me you, you don't really vibe with the artisanal uh, privileged hipsters? <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately I don't. I mean, <laughs> and stuff like I don't know like I don't hate them but like I hate what they are I'm like yeah. because I want it I'm like my life would be so much easier if I did not have to pay my own rent or if I didn't have to pay my own car payment or pay my insurance or like if I didn't have you know a trillion dollars in student loan yeah. debt you know like my life would be so much easier and simpler I could yeah. just I could just exist in Colorado and have a good time and like not really care, but like, uh, I gotta work, I gotta work hard and 
Like that's the world we live in. I got to work hard. You got to work hard. And all us young people have to work a hundred times harder than the generation before us had to work. So. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I, yeah, I mean, that's, that is a, a thing I've definitely heard about Colorado. I do. I would love to visit sometime. I've never been, but you know, I, all that does kind of add up like everything you're saying, like what I have heard about folks that have experienced um, the culture relative to like what we're used to. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is something to be said. There is something like that is just like nothing compares to standing on top of a mountain and like looking down and being like, wow, that would really hurt if I fell. Right. You know? yeah. Like there's nothing like it. Like you get Dude. up there and you're like, wow, now I got to walk all the way down. I mean, it's beautiful, yeah. but you're like, oh, you know, like. Yeah, man. I I get that. I I went to the Door County Bluffs recently and uh it's a similar feeling but not quite the magnitude. So Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So Well, uh Rosie, uh, thank you for being on the show. Um Yeah, of course. This was fun. Uh you're cool peoples and <laughs> uh, good chit chat there. Yeah. Chit chat. Um, yeah, thanks for talking to me about bassoon and band and music education and arts and Colorado. Uh, it's a solid conversation. I, you were a person I always like, you know, want to like actually like get to know better, but we only always saw each other like in passing. Yeah. So, this was fun. Yeah, it was good. I'm glad that we got to talk and, you know, maybe next time I'll be the person asking the questions. So. Oh shit. Okay. Well, you're on. <laughs> so, uh, as we're closing out here, uh, tell me what keeps you up at night. Oh man. Uh, it's really bad. I listen to a lot of like true crime podcasts. So like what keeps me up at night is the like impending doom that one day somebody could literally just like take me and nobody would know what happened to me forever. So keeps me up at night, usually pretty late. So that's wild. Yeah. That's, if I was so if I was gonna listen to stuff like that, it'd have to be during the day. Oh, I, I listen to it all day. It's really bad. But the other thing that keeps me up at night is that there are people out there who are not gonna vote. Yeah. That keeps true. me up too. It's just like the impending doom that keeps me up really. I just voted this past weekend. Look at you. Well, also, you know, a message for our viewers, Milwaukee is looking for poll workers, so they pay you $220. I'll be working the polls. Catch me that Tuesday. So. Hell yeah. Good for you. Dope. Awesome. What puts you to sleep? Um, you know, usually at the sweet good nights and I love yous from my sweet, sweet darling. Love that girl. Hell yeah. Once again, big shout out to the Bippy. Yeah. Um, we love that girl. <laughs> well, good. Uh, thank you again, Rosie, for uh, being on the show. And uh, for everyone watching, uh, support your local arts programs in your schools. You know, let's vote for uh, funding for said said programs. And uh, thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time.